Amen. If you have your Bible, if you need it for this particular recitation, I would encourage you to take it and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. If you do not have a Bible with you, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew there in front of you. If you don't own your own copy of Scripture, please take the one that's there in the pew back that's in front of you as a gift from us to you so that you can have a copy of God's Word. We will replenish it before next week. Do not worry. It will be our gift to you. We are going to recite together once again the Lord's Prayer. And so we will be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. I'll begin our reading for us. And then once we get into the Lord's Prayer that he models for us, I would encourage you to say it and recite it along with me. As you're finding your place, though, if you're physically able, I would ask if you would please stand out of reverence for the public reciting of God's holy word. We look together now at Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, the word of the Lord says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We have been walking through a sermon series focusing on this model prayer that Jesus prays for us and teaches to us. We have not necessarily been focusing on how this teaches us to pray. It can be and should be used for that purpose as well. What our focus has been in this sermon series is to study what we learn about God, about his character, about his nature, about who he is from how the Lord Jesus teaches us to pray. So as I have said every Sunday, I think it is a good plan to memorize this prayer, to pray this prayer. If you are unfamiliar with how to pray and you feel pressure that you don't know how to talk to the Lord, Use his very words as your springboard to talk to him. Begin by acknowledging that he is our father. He's adopted us into his family. Thank him for that. Talk to him as a dad, as your parent. Notice that he is in heaven, that he is high above you. Talk about how he is holy. He is awesome. He is mighty. You can use these different petitions in this prayer to riff off of, play your own derivative, if we were in a jazz band, of these examples. You can pray about his kingdom coming, just as we talked about. How often do we pray, Lord, may your kingdom come. Lord, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray that his will be done. We pray that God would supply our daily bread, but not just our physical needs, but as we looked at last week, supply us with a portion of him of his spirit he is our daily bread our morning manna so when we pray lord give us this day our daily bread we are also asking lord give us your spirit give us of yourself that we might know you and that we might live for you and so now we move to verse 12 verse 12 is one of the heaviest and scariest verses in 
the Lord's Prayer. We say it all the time. This is the one I have joked about on many occasions because I always remember saying trespasses growing up, and that was always the stumbling block of the prayer. If you could make it through trespasses and lead us not into temptation, like those are, those are the ones that it, you can stumble over your words as you're reciting. And I was always afraid of forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So I much prefer the King James rendering of forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is one of the few things in the Lord's Prayer. This is one of the few petitions that not only gives us an inkling of God's character, but how God's character should be reflected in us. We are people who ran up a debt. We are people who had a serious problem on our account with the Lord. And the Lord forgave us of that debt. In Christ Jesus, he wiped the debt clean. And what was better is that it wasn't just that he said, I'm going to erase your debt. Because, you know, there's a lot of talk these days in political circles about forgiving the debt ratio of college students, right? We, we talk a lot about the federal government forgiving that debt. But, but what's the problem when you talk about forgiving vast quantities of money? The people who loaned that money, they need their money back, right? It's not just like you can wipe it away as though it was never there. So when we say that the Lord wiped away our debts, we're not saying that he just erased the ledger, that it was written in pencil and the Lord went back and said, it's as if it never existed. That's not how our debt was paid. Our debt was paid, not erased. It was paid in full and it wasn't as though we never sinned, but all of that sin is now covered. So if you or I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the man who was born fully God and fully man of a virgin and grew up in the town of Nazareth, he lived a perfect life. He lived the life that we could never live and died the death that we deserve. That's how our debts are forgiven, not wiped away as though they didn't happen, as though it just didn't exist. Somebody was owed that money. There had to be justice in the universe. And so instead of breaking a just system, the Lord sacrificed his son to pay the debt that you and I owed. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So is this teaching us that the Lord is the kind of person who forgives our debts, but tomorrow I best uh, ask for forgiveness again because he's going to need to forgive me again. Well, yes and no, all at the same time. What's happening in this passage, we ask the Lord to forgive us our debts because even though we ask for forgiveness and our debt is paid, there's still things that we do that harm our relationship with the Lord. Think back to when we were going through 1 Thessalonians. We talked about not quenching the Spirit, right? The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, can move upon our hearts and we can respond in such a way as to quench or squelch the Holy Spirit trying to move in our hearts. In the same way, we can live as Christians in such a way that hurts our relationship with the Father. So I want you to look with me in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. There's an incredible thing that happens 
anytime somebody trusts in and decides to follow Jesus. In that moment, the Lord sends his Holy Spirit to dwell in our being. That's why we talk about asking the Lord into our hearts, because the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us and seals us for the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit is active in our life and living inside of us if we truly are saved, if we have asked God to save us and wipe our debt clean. So when we live in a manner that is not in step with the Holy Spirit, we are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Does that mean that you are no longer a child of God? No. Does that mean that the debt that was paid on the cross in Christ Jesus, that that is gone and you have to get saved again every single day? No, because the same thing is true with me and my father. The same thing is true with me as a father to my children. They may grieve me. They may do things that harm our relationship, but they are my sons and my daughter. I am my father's son. And no matter what I do in life, I belong to him. His blood runs through my veins. So when we are saved, if we are truly saved, if we truly understand and God's Holy Spirit comes to live within us, we are adopted and covered in his blood. And that is sealed and it cannot be changed. But we still sin day in and day out. The example that I like to think about is when Jesus washed his disciples' feet in the Gospel of John. You remember Jesus says to Peter, when Peter refuses to have his feet washed, Jesus says to Peter, if I don't do this, then you don't have any part with me. And Jesus prophetically says back to Peter, someone who has showered, someone who's had a bath, has no need of being washed head to toe. But this I do for you. So keep in mind we don't have to be washed and cleansed thoroughly over and over again. It's not that we have to be resaved every single day. But the Lord's Prayer teaches us to go before God and to say to Him, Lord, I know that I have messed up. I know that I have additional charges on my account today. And I'm asking you to forgive me of the ways that I have harmed our relationship. Holy Spirit, do not be quenched in my heart. Do not be suppressed in my life. I want to live for you. I want to hate my sin. And what I'm telling you today, Lord Jesus, is I hate my sin. Please forgive me and change me. That prayer can be a daily prayer. But you don't have to get saved all over again every single day. But we do go before the Lord and ask him to wash our feet, to forgive us our debts, because our account seems to just be a revolving door. And that's tied closely to the last part of verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You see, people that have been forgiven much ought to be people of forgiveness. And it has been my experience that in my own life and in the lives of others that I have known, when we don't understand the debt that we have racked up against God, we are very slow to eradicate the debt of someone against us. We like for our college debt to be wiped clean, but we don't want to pay for somebody else's college debt that we loaned them the money. You see, 
People who have been forgiven much are often people of forgiveness. People who don't think that they need to be forgiven of very much are very hard to get forgiveness out of. Something that we forget as Christians, that the grossest, that the ugliest sin I have ever personally seen has all taken place right here and right here. But, but preacher, I had never murdered nobody. I'm better than somebody that murders somebody. I mean, I, I've done some ugly things in my heart. I've done some ugly things in my mind, but I've never murdered anybody. Jesus says, if you have looked on your brother or sister with hatred in your heart, you might as well have murdered them. Jesus levels the playing field when he takes the law that Moses gave from the Lord to the people of Israel, takes it down to the level of thought and heart. And I want us to understand that our personal sins should always be the ugliest, grossest sins we have ever seen. If we are mortified by our sin, we will be able to forgive others who sin against us. But at the heart of not forgiving somebody else is thinking, well, I've never done anything that bad. I've never done anything that horrible. Well, Pastor, you just don't understand. I can't forgive my spouse. They cheated on me. They were unfaithful. I have been loyal to them, and they broke their loyalty to me. I will never forgive them. I'm not saying there's not consequences. Consequences and forgiveness don't always go hand in hand. If I punch you in the nose and your nose is bleeding and I ask for forgiveness, you can forgive me while your nose is still bleeding. The consequences are still evident in your life even though forgiveness has been extended. But if you look at your spouse and you think, there's no way that I could forgive you because there's no way I would ever do that. You see how instantly it turned this way. I would never, so I cannot forgive. But I want to assure us, if you've ever looked on someone else with lust, you have. You did exactly what you thought your spouse did. Men, if you've ever looked at something in a magazine or online that you shouldn't have looked at, you've committed adultery. Women, same to you. If that lust in your head and in your heart went out to somebody else, you looked upon the nakedness of someone else that was not your spouse with lust, it was in your heart. The grossest sin that we see in our lives has to be what we see in the mirror. Because we're not better than anybody else. I stand up here behind this pulpit telling you that as somebody who is not better than anybody sitting in any of these pews. The verse that I can relate to is when Paul says, the chief of sinners, that's me. I, I know what goes on in my head. I know what goes on in my heart. And I know what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. And I understand that the ugliest sinner in this room through my eyes is right up here on this stage. And when I can't see the ugliness of my own sin, I can't forgive somebody else for the ugliness that they've committed against me. Because at the root of it, you and I think we're better than somebody. We think we never would have done that. So how could they do that to me? When we're thinking that way, we've forgotten what we did to Jesus. You remember the story of Hosea? He told Hosea to go and marry a prostitute. He said, you're going to go buy her, and then she's going to leave you. And then you're going to go buy her again and bring her back into your house. And you're going to do all of this, Hosea, because this is how my people Israel 
have treated me. This is how my children have treated me. This is how you and I, who are believers in the Lord Jesus, have treated God Almighty. We have slapped him in the face. We have run around with false gods and idols. We have run around with thoughts and lies and gossip and lust and stealing and anything and everything else under the sun. And when you and I struggle to forgive, it's because we forget how much we have been forgiven. And the reason that verse 12 is scary is because of this is the only petition in the Lord's Prayer that we see verse 14 and 15 revisits what we see in verse 12. This is the only one where there's extra explanation after the model prayer. Look with me in chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Father in heaven, your heavenly Father, will also forgive you. Read verse 15 as I'm reading it out loud and tell me this doesn't scare you to your core. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Man, I really wish that I could tell you I looked up some Greek and that I referenced a few commentaries and looked at what the early fathers had to say. And that I've discovered that this doesn't mean what it really says. That's not true. You look this up in Greek, it means the same thing. If we're not people of forgiveness, then we don't realize the forgiveness of Jesus. If we don't realize the forgiveness of Jesus, we probably don't belong to him. And I say that not to condemn anyone in this room. I say that as a man fearful under the Lord God Almighty, knowing that I am called to be a person of forgiveness. Romans chapter 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we belong to Him, there is no more condemnation. Romans 8 will continue and talk about how we are adopted into His family. Once we belong to Him, there is no changing that. But if we're not people of forgiveness, Maybe we don't really belong to Him. If we say, I'm going to go to my dying breath and I will never forgive you for what you've done to me. Something's wrong in our soul. If those are the words out of our mouth. And we mean them to the depths of our, of our hearts. We've been forgiven what was unforgivable. Treason against the Most High God. Treason against the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. Rebellion, treachery. We betrayed Him in every way. Filled with our own pride. And when we can't forgive somebody else, it's because we're still filled with our own pride. Forgiveness is hard. It is unnatural. It is not a normal thing for a regular human being to forgive another human being. It can only be done supernaturally by the Spirit of God. But here's the great news. That's that same Spirit that we read about in Ephesians 4.30 that is sealed within your heart when you believe in the Lord Jesus. So everything that we need to be people of forgiveness, if we believe in the Lord Jesus, is within us so that the Spirit can work through us to forgive in ways that naturally we never would. And we never could. But then it goes just one step further. Verse 2 of chapter 7. Just after 
this discussion of prayer, Matthew continues recording the words of Jesus. He says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Don't you find this to be true just naturally? Have you ever noticed that the way that your parents measured you is the way that you measure your kids? You see, my mom's always a neat and tidy person. And there were things about our house that had to be in certain order. And it infected me. I am her son. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But there were times where I would get spankings or discipline in severe ways because things were not just so. And I find myself coming home. And when things are not just so in my house, I have to take a breath if I can catch myself. Sometimes I sound so harsh, and I don't even mean to sound harsh, and Jessica will pull me aside and be like, hey, hey, babe, hey, sweetheart, um, hey, honey, do, do you realize you sound you're, like you're just very angry right now? What do you mean I sound angry? I'm not angry. This is just me instructing my children. I'm telling them that their shoes cannot be left on the trampoline because the dog will get it and chew the shoes up, and then we've got to buy new shoes, and I'm not going to buy a 17th pair of shoes. It's not going to happen. I can't do it. I'll refuse. They'll go barefoot. I get it. It's a good thing. We clean up after ourselves. That's important. <laughs> that is. But isn't it strange, something so minute, something that doesn't really matter or have significance? What if their shoes get rained on out there on the trampoline? Well, then uh, we'll just wash them, okay? We, we've got a washing machine. We can wash shoes. It'll be all right. So just, just take a breath, Nathan. It'll be okay. And I realize in those moments, I'm measuring the way that I've been measured. I used to hate when a whole bunch of kids would come over to my house and we'd get all my toys out. And we'd play and we'd play. In the back of my mind, I'm knowing, when they go, when they go, it's on. And my mom would be, oh, we're so glad to have you guys. It's just great. It's just awesome. All right. See you. Have a wonderful day. And all my friends would go home. The door closes. Nathan, what is going on around here? And I go, hey, I got it, Mom. Don't worry. I'll clean up all the toys. And I'll get everything from everywhere around the house that's all over that all my friends took out. And I love playing with them. But Lord of mercy, it's a lot of cleaning up. How many times do I turn around and tell my kids, when you're done playing with one thing, you put it away. Then you play with the next thing. The measure that's been measured against me is the measure that I now measure against others. The measure with which you measure will be measured against you. That's why it says, don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will you be forgiven. Because the Measure we use will be measured against us. And if you think that's just a one-off verse, he says it again in Mark 24, 24. And then he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. James two thirteen. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. If you want to sit back in your chair, if I want to sit back in my chair and offer judgment, know that mercy triumphs over judgment. Know that there is condemnation through Jesus Christ. But if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Mercy wins. But when we want to get all judgmental, when we don't offer mercy to others, judgment is without mercy. The one who has shown no mercy. It's all over the Bible. So this morning, there's just, there's just two takeaways from what we're looking at, from what we're studying. Are you a forgiving person? 
can't answer it for you. I've had to ask myself this question all week. Nathan, am I really a forgiving person? You know, in most marriages, it's like the wife that remembers things and stays mad for a long time. Jessica can drop something in 30 seconds. She'll be like, all right, I'm over it. Me, I'm like, I'm still married at you. I ain't done being mad yet. I'm going to be mad for a few more days. And then once I've decided I've been mad long enough, then I'm going to forgive you and we'll move on. Am I a forgiving person? I've got to answer that for myself before the Lord. You've got to answer that for yourself before the Lord. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where the bread of life is, okay? I'm not better than anybody else here. But you've got to determine honestly, brutally honest with yourself, are you a forgiving person? Because if you don't forgive the trespasses against you, you may not be adopted into the family you think you're adopted into. That's not me judging your salvation. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. God's people are to be forgiving people. Second question is, have you ever been forgiven? First question, are you a forgiving person? Which leads to the second question, have you been forgiven? Has your debt been paid? Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit has come to live in your heart as a seal of your salvation? If not, this morning you can change that. You can cry out to Him in your seat where you are. You can come down front in a moment and ask me to pray with you and for you. Be happy to. To receive forgiveness. Romans 10 tells us, All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. This morning, if you have never been forgiven, I beg of you, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. If you've already called upon the name of the Lord, I would ask you to seriously look at your heart, dive into your soul, and ask yourself, God, am I a forgiving person? Do I forgive others as you have forgiven me? Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, we thank you for your love, for your mercy. We thank you that you offer forgiveness even though you never had to. God, you didn't owe us anything. We owed you everything. We owed a debt we could never pay. And you decided in your goodness, in your kindness, pay that debt for us. Not to just erase it out of the book, but to pay it in full so that it would never come up again because it's been paid. The debt has been satisfied and justice has been served. Lord, thank you. Jesus, thank you for willingly offering yourself up in our place. The Father didn't make you, you volunteered. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, if anyone here has never trusted in you and and received that forgiveness that is available, would you move on their heart right now? Lord, for those of us who struggle with forgiveness, help us. Cause us by the power of your supernatural and miraculous Holy Spirit to mold us into people of forgiveness. That model your character and your nature as we live 
day to day. Lord, we love you. We ask for you to move in these moments ahead. We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit.